no, I like room temp cheese is good. And then when you get to a, a triple cream brie, I, I can I can do with that. I'm okay yeah. with it. It's good. But it is basically just really thick butter. Right. <laughs> yes, right. Which is, like, I'm just, I'm basically saying I will eat butter with a spoon. I, I never Maybe dip a cracker that. in it. <laughs> when I first saw Brie for the first time, I remember like my aunt or someone at it. And uh, I was like, is this butter? Like, what is this? And that's essentially what it looks like. It's just like gooey butter. Welcome to Dungeons and Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and that was a sample from today's conversation with Eli Hurst, also known as At Screaming Tavern on Twitter. Today, we talk about getting players to level 20, D&D birthday parties, mastering the art of Alfredo, why starting in a tavern isn't such a bad thing, and so much more. If you want to hear a bonus conversation with Eli after the main episode is done, or you just want to support the podcast in general to help fund future endeavors, episodes, and other types of content, consider making a donation over at patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. At the $5 level and above, you will get access to exclusive bonus mini episodes every single week that range in length from 15 minutes to full-length bonus episodes, as well as getting access to the entire catalog of previous content. That's four additional episodes a month, plus the entire back catalog for only $5. So if you enjoy our conversation today, don't forget to head on over to patreon.com slash Dungeons and Dinners and help keep this podcast ad free. Now let's get on with the conversation. Welcome. Take a seat anywhere. We'll be right with you. And as I said in the intro, super excited today to have special guest Eli Hurst at the Screaming Tavern, uh, Twitch TV slash the Screaming Goat Tavern, his current campaign, The Architect of Sentient Design. Go check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for joining me. And Eli, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, super excited to be here. Much appreciate. Much appreciate. Yeah. No, you've been a huge support of mine on on Twitter, giving shout outs on Patreon. I've been keeping an eye on things that you've got going on. But for the uninitiated, please uh, tell us a little bit about the Screaming at the Screaming Tavern and what you do in the TTRPG space. Sure. Uh, so uh, at Screaming Tavern, that's obviously my Twitter handle um, on Instagram, as well as the Screaming Go Tavern. And then uh, mainly, first and foremost, uh, twitch.tv forward slash the Screaming Go Tavern, where we do all of our Dungeons and Dragons actual playthroughs. Um, I, I typically do uh, all homebrew stuff. I'm not a huge fan of the out of the box stuff. While it's cool and it, it's great. Um, I don't like prefab things. I like things to be original in my own ideas. Um, so I'm definitely all about the uh, the homebrew content, doing things myself. Um, currently on campaign two, my campaigns typically run for year plus long at a time. Uh, I generally try to make it a goal of myself to let the players hit level 20. That's kind of uh, where I like to take that uh, just because there's so many abilities that 90% of the time in campaigns, you you do one shot so you don't get them. Or it's just like a campaign kind of goes and then putters out after a couple months because not everyone can be there. So um, me and my friend group decided we're going to get a group together. And we're going to stick these campaigns um, and just, you know, ride through them. And it's it's awesome. Uh, by day, I am a uh, IT support specialist. And by night, I am a DM Anolius uh, in uh, Foundry VTT crafting the awesome campaigns that I do. Awesome. And so you've already brought up a couple of pretty big points here. One is one that I don't see a lot of people do, which is, like you said, getting players to level 20. Um, I've seen some like high and quote unquote, like epic sure. level campaigns, sure. anything above about 
really honestly 12 but once you get above 15 things start getting really hectic um and since you mentioned so so you get multiple campaigns to 20 then yeah so we started with uh campaign one it was the first campaign we actually started streaming uh that's when i first got into the whole streaming realm that was uh campaign one was called the ascension of blood and uh, it was it was only five players at the time uh me being one of them so i i dm and i also run one of the players within the group spectrum obviously not crossing the boundary between what I know and what the players should know. So there's no, like I'm telling them through my character. Um, but yeah, I, that campaign ran for, uh, just about a year. I think it was exactly a year on the date that we finished the campaign. And at, at that time in campaign one, I did milestone leveling. So we had them, I, I just, every so often I was like, Oh man, they hit this point. They did this cool thing. All right. You guys get to level up. And so obviously I think milestone leveling is a little bit faster or can be in certain regards because people are going to take it to that step. Um, and they want to level up when they want them to level up. Now in the second campaign, the architect of sentient design, I'm doing experience based leveling. Um, so I don't know how long it's going to be. It's probably going to go at least a year. Um, but I'm definitely going to get into 20 because it, there's so many abilities in every single class, even if it's Ranger for the people who don't like Rangers out there, there's so many abilities in every class that like you don't get to utilize everything. And it's nice to be able to finally look at that level 20 ability and be like, I'm going to utilize that. I can't wait to get there because I'm going to make it happen. And then if we have, you know, a couple chapters beyond level 20, great. And more usability out of the character and as a whole. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. It's one of those things that I had to almost kind of forced myself to learn was looking at character builds through about level six, because I, I love as much as the next person watching, you know, make Marvel heroes as characters, 20 level build. Right. Right. But more often than not, you don't, I don't see a a half of that. Right. I think. And, and outside of getting uh, additional, class levels because of uh modified races and and builds that you could do in 3.5 i don't think i ever officially played like a level past about level 10 or 12 um and well no i take that back outside of one campaign one campaign got decently high level but that was a a long campaign (laughs) Um, but yeah everything else it's like look at about level six that's probably where i need to to think about as far as like the utility and build of my character anything past that is gravy and i hated that mentality yeah i hated it yeah it's so it's so obnoxious to think like all right i'm gonna make this character what do i get around level six because that's probably where we're gonna stop like mm-hmm. you you still have you know 12 14 20 level like 17 levels to think about that you're gonna have all these abilities for like right uh, there's so many cool things it's like because because i do i'll look at a class and be like oh man i would that 15th level ability is so awesome i want my whole character's life to like revolve around trying to get there right. and then i build the character and it's like really their whole life's gonna revolve on getting halfway there exactly exactly that's yeah so that that for me is like definitely the motivation factor of like i need I need to get these guys to level 20. I want all their abilities to feel special, to feel worthwhile. If I have to, like, one of the guys plays a sorcerer and the level 20th sorcerer ability, uh, I don't know exactly word for word, but he essentially just gets on a short rest more uh, sorcerer points back. And it's such a worthless level 20 ability that I homebrewed a level 20th ability that fits his character. And 
he's probably going to go with it. And I'm going to make sure they get there because I love seeing that look on my player's face when they get like to experience something cool. Not necessarily that I created, but just something cool that's a part of their class to like make that RP experience in the whole story. Well, and on the flip side of that, though, so is is this the do you outside of Twitch streaming? Have you gotten other player characters to level 20? Is that is that you seem pretty enthralled by that? Has that been a mojo for uh, know, a good chunk of your DM experience? No, actually. Um, so rewind back to when I was a kid. First got into D&D when I was about six. I remember uh, we were camping with my grandparents and they had a bunch of these little counters and pieces and some random, just a ton of six-sided dice because they were big into like dice games and cards and stuff. Um, and me and my brothers, uh, my my old, my old middle brother, um, who actually plays with it, both of my brothers play with me in our campaigns, but my middle brother um, decided to get these dice together, had read some of the second edition stuff and we kind of just got into it and like made stuff up exactly like what D was supposed to be just this freeform game of creativity and we made this this whole stuff up and my oldest brother made a character and we started playing and that was my first kind of experience with dungeons and dragons that really got me hooked and i was like not the typical like oddball in school like you know that you know living with my mom kind of nerd person but i was just I was just like really creative i had this passion and drive to like make all this cool homebrew stuff and like do all this creative things and i slowly morphed as i got into my teens i got more and more into D, and then when was it that third edition came out uh probably when i was like eight nine ten something like that um maybe a little older but then third edition came out and that's when everything just exponentially took off i got the 3.0 books i had the dungeon master the monster manual monster manual 2 came out a little while later and then 3.5 started to come out and there was all this stuff and i remember when i was 13 i really wanted to have um a DD party and my mom was like yeah i'll make a, a king denethor dinner she brought out just a ton of rotisserie chickens just a ton of grapes and uh, t- cherry tomatoes and uh, cheese and homemade bread she made a cake that looked like a castle turret it was just insane like off the top and then i invited a bunch of my friends so i hosted a game as a dm with 13 people uh around this table 13 players and it was it was more or less supposed to be like a one shot because i didn't really think it was going to go anywhere but the campaign was homebrewed and i just made it up on the fly and we had just just a nuts time, like eating just chicken with our hands, shoveling, you know, tomatoes and bread and cheese in our mouths. So much fun. So awesome. And for that, that, that for me is like a memory that I'll always like think about that drives me to play D and D is like just how cool the experience can be. And that kind of, uh, it took, it took a little bit of a dip till back into my twenties. I met some college friends and we got back into D and D, um and played a little bit in college which was kind of fun and then that was when i was i was kind of getting into the virtual spectrum of things like how can i incorporate electronics into the game so i started finding ways to add like more sound and more music ambience i actually crafted out of wood i had a little wood burner and and made some like uh wood chips that were like special coins the heroes got within the campaign um i i had made a, i took a piece of parchment and i i printed a map on there that i'd created with I, I think it was just like paint like windows paint um and i made this map on parchment and then like i cut the edges and folded it wrinkled it up a bunch and then i like burned some of the edges with a lighter and then left it under my mattress for a while had this cool look old look to it um 
Oh, if this was a video recorded, I've got it right next to me. I can pull it out. <laughs> uh, but it, it was great stuff like that that really got me kind of hooked on a and d And then there was a bit of a lag there. But then just recently, probably three years ago, I like pulled out all my old D&D stuff, looked through all my characters, and I was like, I need to start playing this. Like, I need to start playing this. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was it it was uh let's look at the when was that two years ago we started playing our first campaign together ascension of blood and that was me uh my two brothers and uh two of our friends and it was just absolutely awesome um we didn't even start streaming the first few chapters of the campaign the, the typical way i run my campaigns is i have a campaign and i break it down into s- small chapters and each chapter is several sessions long um but yeah, that that's uh, that's kind of where that started, and then probably about uh, quarter of the way in or a third of the way into that campaign, I started streaming it, and I just told myself I want to keep doing this, and I want my characters to hit level twenty every time, without fail. Like I want this to all feel worthwhile, and I want them to feel powerful, like they're gods, like these ultimate superheroes that is otherwise underutilized in a lot of campaigns. No, that's so. One, that's amazing. And thank you for <laughs> like, like just for pushing for that. Cause I think even myself as, as a many time DM, sure. um, even the thought of other characters, because like, I don't know the, the abilities of half the characters at 20. Cause, cause you don't see them a lot. You don't. You don't. And, and so I would be afraid of what players could do and running monsters that are that high level, it can be hard to get out of the mindset of like, oh, this is this is a lethal monster. Like at twenty, no, it's not anymore. It's the same as a bugbear is to a to a you know a level three party, right? Right. Like, like this ancient dragon is not as big of a threat as you think it is. <laughs> right. I totally know what you mean, man. I I I really. I, that's that's I guess that's kind of the other point that I wanted to make is with with monsters. You you see all these monsters in the monster manual, and they're like CR seventeen, CR eighteen. You know the Tarask, whatever it's CR is twenty or twenty two, whatever its challenge rating is. You look at these creatures, and they're like, when am I ever going to fight these things? Because every time I play a campaign, you know DMA here gets gets us to level like five, and then we stop. And it's like I want to I want to be able to challenge this thing and not have this idea that there could be that fight. I want to actually fight this thing. You know, I want to go and fight an ancient red worm and, and see where it takes me. Not, not like this. All right. Yeah. Cool. Play a campaign to third level. Uh, I mean, I, I, Oh, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to say like seeing when it, when it becomes like a DM that'll be like, Oh, this is an ancient red dragon, but you guys are all level three. So you should probably run, or this is solely a, you have to like RP this because the dragon will just eat you otherwise. Right. Like, I totally, man. I just, it was always that situation where there is like, it's a too hard encounter. We have to RP our way out. And that's the only way out. Because mm-hmm. if we try to fight them, our DM's going to kill us. And it's like, ah, no, you need to be at this level so you can fight this thing and actually feel like it's a fair challenge. That's one thing that I've incorporated into my campaigns is always making sure, and more so with the second campaign than I did the first one. The first one was a little bit more of a cakewalk because I, I was getting into uh, making campaigns again for a while and like getting back into the swing of like how I want to DM this. And the second campaign is, has been real challenging. We've had a couple characters that have died several times already. Um, thank God for spare the dying. 
but right. <laughs> uh, it, it has happened several times already. And most of my players are, are going into combat with this kind of like, Oh my God moment, because they don't realize that or they're starting to realize now that, yeah, I could very well die. I could need to go to the local town temple if they have one and maybe spend 1500 gold on a resurrection spell. You know, it's not always, you know, maybe, maybe spare the dying is going to run its, run its course. And eventually they're going to have to use something, you know, with a, with a higher spell level. They do have one cleric in the group. So there is um, a level of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a level of hope there that uh, really would help them propel. But um, I, it's, it's, it's daunting. It's daunting and it's fun and it's challenging. And, and I've really kind of started to hone the second campaign to be that way. So there is a need for a, the healing spells and B this idea that your abilities need to be utilized in the best way possible and tactically to make every single encounter doable. I'm not going to make Use it impossible, everything. but I'm going to make it like dark souls where right. it's going to be hard. Uh, but yeah, use everything. I mean, I, there's so many spell slots and abilities. Currently, um, without giving too much away in the campaign, the the heroes are uh, in this cave right now, uh, the cave of withering descent. And I let's see. Um, oh yeah, okay. I can I can I can talk about it freely here. In the cave of withering descent, there are uh, 15 levels in this cave. And right now they're traversing that they've gotten to about level seven. After our last session, I asked the players and I said, well, how many levels do you think are in this cave? Um, and when they got to the first, when they got to the first level, I asked them after that session and they, most of them said like five to seven, they got to level seven. And I asked them again last session, they were like, ah, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12, oh, there's 15. And they, they just aren't ready for it. I don't think, but they're going to go down farther. They're trying to find, um, this, this, uh, generic hero named the captain uh whose actual name is uh felix milanestro but they have to go down into uh, they'll find him at the level uh, the 15th level and down there there's a group of mind flayers that have him kind of trapped um in this prison and there, there's a whole magical element to this cave um but they've gotten this far and every single floor so far has had these intense challenges and encounters and they've had to exhaust all of their resources begging me for a long rest like begging me even for a short rest they got to this small house at one point where this crazy guy lived and the crazy guy fled the scene and they were like all right well, he's in, we're in his house now can we take a long rest and, and i was like i'm sorry you try to pass out but you for some reason that you're you're restless and you just can't sleep there's too much danger in the area you're just stressed out from all the combat the, the most i could give you is a short rest at this point and they're like ah we need a long rest i need my spell slots back and <laughs> And it's there. They just got to level seven now where or the seventh level of the cave, I should say, where there's actually like more of a there's like a small community that lives in this cave. And I'm letting them take a long rest because they're going to need this one last rest to get to the bottom. But one of the characters that they're traversing this cave for as the storyline would go, uh, it's, his name is Billy, Billy Malo. His part of the story is dictating um, about this captain that uh, was in his past and his whole backstory. And I wrote this into the campaign for them to find at one point because it ties into the rest. But they have to go find this captain. And so he's just heart set on finding this guy. He needs to kill him right now. He, needs, he has to get to the cave, find him and kill him. And he's actually been hoarding his spell slots. He's our sorcerer of the group. And so he's just hoarding all of his spell slots saying like, oh, I'm not going to burn my spell slots. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I actually made 
the challenge, the encounter is so challenging at this point. He's had to burn his spell slots because like he knew he couldn't hold on to them forever. And he needs to use them, but now they've got this long rest. So yes, on, on a long tangent there, <laughs> I totally, I totally have made these encounters so hard to the point that they feel like they need to utilize all of their abilities. That's awesome though. I think that there's a, a tendency, at least for me to kind of pillow fist in the name of fun and I, I, I'm very hesitant. I think I've had some really iffy D and D situations too, where I was afraid of disappointing a player, and if they didn't get to be godly and always win, then maybe I couldn't play. Right. And I think you know I'm probably past most of that now that the internet is so huge and it's sure. it's so much easier to find a game. Um, but yeah, I've, I've definitely been in that situation before where it's like, I would love to be more challenging, but I'm, I'm almost afraid to. Right. But you, you brought up something you've, there's a, there's a lot of tangents that we can go on here, <laughs> but I, I do want to kind of roll back just a little bit. We don't have to spend sure. a lot of time here, but, um, something that I've not necessarily gotten to see as much of is, um, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to parents or, you know, players that had, you know, somewhat supportive parents, but it really sounds like your mom went over the top in supporting you in, in bringing out a, a fully fleshed out D and D like in kind of like what I would, I don't want to say the right way, but like just really leaning into your passions. Oh, uh, for sure. Growing up and, for- and yeah. So can you can you you know talk to that and and just talk about like what that support looks like? If it, was that a general thing or was that with everything or was there something special here? So one of the things that caught my eye about uh, about this podcast in general was it, it was Dungeons and Dinners, and for me, my life has been nothing short of where Dungeons and Dragons and food kind of collide in this magical harmony, as it does for most, not just me. But my mom was. Uh, was someone who always throughout her entire life loved cooking, loved cooking very, very much so. And my dad uh, in his college years used to play Dungeons and Dragons as well. And so that was something that was kind of apparent to me as a kid growing up. Um, But my mom would always be in the kitchen cooking and making these awesome meals, like would try to show us how to cook, like what it means to put these ingredients with these things and was just always there. Um, actually at one point prior to me and my brothers being born, she had gotten a, um, she, she had gotten a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, potentially the opportunity to work at the white house and disbanded it to put my dad through seminary school and eventually having, uh, us three kids and kind of like moved on from that. But it has always been someone who's been like on the front lines of like wanting to cook, and my parents divorced when I was about 10, um, but I, I got into D&D and my mom always supported us in every like in every facet of that, like wanted to make all these cool foods that were based around D&D, uh, wanted to like for pretty much most of our birthdays as kids would make these epic looking cakes and like. Uh, my dad at one point had us in his basement of uh, an apartment we lived at and uh, my brother who DM'd that campaign had this cool like robe on with this beard. He was this like wizardly guy and he had this staff that made this like crashing sound. And I remember these campaigns just always being fueled by like my parents just instigating more and more of that to kind of like come out of us because it is a very creative thing, right? Like you're, you're just, a, it's all this cool stuff you have in your mind that's actually being put to fruition 
And yeah, my mom was definitely there to always push us, um, like with anything we did, Dungeons and Dragons related. Still, like I had dinner at her house this evening, and we talked about this whole podcast thing, and she was really supportive and like was like, "Oh, I can't wait to hear it! Like you gotta have me listen to it." And I, I don't know, I, it's something for me that's just always kind of hit home because it is. My parents have always just fueled me. My my mom. And, most mostly has just always pushed us. I mean, my dad does get into the campaigns. He watches a stream. He's always in there in chat. He's always making me homemade bread and like buying me cheese and stuff for the stream. And my parents have always just been there. And it's just really cool now to, um, to have that kind of interaction. My mom always calls herself tipsy Haven, the serving wench. And she goes to the Renaissance fair with us and dresses up like a wench and like has all this cool garb and she gets into character and yeah, my mom's just been uh, has has always been there, like hook, line, and sinker about anything Dungeons and Dragons related, and wanted to help out as much as she could, which I I to this day think is amazing. She's such no, that a great is huge. Person. Yeah, that's huge. And and thank you, Eli's mom, if you're listening, because that is <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> um, so I mean, now now I, I feel a little bit more on the spot. I gotta I, I don't want to pillow fist my questions here uh, for go for it, man. No, no, um, <laughs> no. But so you'd mentioned that your mom, you know, taught you to cook at a very early age. You were always sure. kind of immersed in some form of uh, support from both of your parents, uh, sure. be it you know getting getting you guys dressed up to role play or, or helping make food and snacks and or just cooking outside of D and D. So I often, I'll often ask like, what's one of the first things you remember cooking, but I, I think I want to kind of adjust this question a little bit and, and with so much, uh, kind of hands-on activity in doing that, do you feel like you have a first thing that you mastered cooking? Oh, Jesus. Um, do I have a first thing that I mastered cooking? Probably not. I don't think as much as she tried to teach us, I don't think I'm that good of a cook. Um, I, I don't believe I, that. <laughs> I don't believe that at all. <laughs> I, I, I can be pretty handy. I can be pretty handy in, in the kitchen sometimes. And, uh, just, just, uh, yesterday I made, um, I, I wanted to recreate, uh, like a Chick-fil-A fried chicken sandwich. So oh, yeah. I, I deep fried in my house, which is a giant pain in the rear end. Oh, but, it is. It is. Um, <laughs> But I did. I successfully deep fried like a really awesome chicken sandwich. Uh, it was it was absolutely excellent. It was delicious. Did you do the the pickle brine? Uh, I, I I did. I did. Yeah. I did do the pickle brine. Oh, there you go. We got a photo um, of it. Is that up on your yeah, Instagram? Uh, it is. It is actually. <laughs> it so, there yeah, you go. All right. The, the, the Screaming Goat Tavern on my Instagram. Uh, you can see that picture there. But I'd say if there was something that I have, I feel like I've mastered pretty well. Um, it'd probably be Alfredo. Uh, speaking my language pesto and cheese or sorry pasta and cheese (laughs) pesto pesto pasta Pesto and cheese too (laughs) Um, okay let me go back on that even pesto but when we were kids growing up uh, right after my parents divorced i was like 11 12 years old my mom had a a porch that was pretty big and she had three of these really long boxes boxes maybe like five feet long and she grew basil in each one of these boxes. And basil, if you've ever seen it, grows exponentially, like just gets mm-hmm. massive. And so her and uh, one of her friends that actually lived very close to us, they would just go on like a basil pick like once a month. And they would go out to the bush or the, like the plants she had and 
clip all these leaves off and they would just make just absorbent amounts of pesto, just pesto, pesto, pesto. And my mom would make pesto pasta and angel hair that was to die for. Oh man, I really want some right now. But <laughs> because of that, I've, I've really enjoyed like pasta in general and um, figuring out how to make like a roux and then a white sauce and then make some cheese sauce and then, you know, get some noodles in there. I have yet to make homemade noodles, which I would love to try. Yeah. Um, I just, the but, one thing, the one thing I, we didn't get in this house, we got everything else. I even got like the, a gas stove instead of an electric, like making sure that I had everything. Sure. The only thing yep. I didn't think about because you just don't see it when you're being shown the house or a floor plan is countertop space. Once appliances are there. And, oh, and sure. I feel like like sure. noodles or homemade biscuits or anything like that just takes way more countertop space than it looks like. Right. And yeah. I've never uh, that's most of the reason why I don't do it. Yeah, no. Th and that's that's exactly it. I don't have the counter space to do it here where I currently live. But yeah, I, I, uh, I've been meaning to try homemade noodles. And then um, to make like a cheese sauce uh, over the top of that, I made some uh, Alfredo last weekend with my significant other and uh, we just had a ball doing it and we just made it so cheesy. I think I probably added something like a pound of Parmesan in there. Maybe it was yes. a pound and a half. It was, just, it was just, it was so cheesy. Like it was just stretchy and the noodles and oh man, it was so good. So I think if there's something that I've, I've mastered in my own life, it's probably that um, again, I don't, I don't cook a whole ton. Okay. 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 <laughs> I'm, forget, I'm forgetting about things and they come to me at the spur of the moment. If I we're talking, we're talking about on the grill. We're talking about okay, the grill. Okay. Yeah. I can grill just about anything. I can, nice. I can, I can grill. I don't know why, where, how it came to me, but I just, ever since I started grilling food, I could just grill everything perfectly without like even having to like thermometer it. Just look and feel and touch boom i can make it i remember when i was uh 17 i wanted to do for my birthday i wanted to like grill at my mom's house um and i'd never done ribs before and i was like i'm just gonna do this who cares i'm just gonna do this uh i just I seasoned the ribs i threw them on there i let them cook for a while they smoked for like another couple hours after that uh, i wrapped them up in foil spritzed them with some water it was amazing i'd never made ribs before and it was just something that turned out so perfectly for me um so i guess I, th maybe that's my mastery all right I'll anything on I'll the grill that. anything on the grill i can i can cook it hook, well i mean you know that I, I would i would definitely wouldn't turn down uh an order of grilled ribs and some homemade alfredo <laughs> like that sounds that sounds like just that sounds like heaven there yeah I, right uh, I, I i am a big fan of alfredo because it's it's both something that you can kind of just always throw together if you have like three right. ingredients but you can also like always it, level it up right like right. as a simple alfredo is like three ingredients like uh, butter cheese milk right but then you can do like heavy cream instead of milk you can do oil different type play with the oils you could play with the cheeses we had a right. i don't really like brie Unless it's like a like a triple cream either, or something. Man. If it's if it's a really fancy brie that when it gets to room temperature is basically just thick butter, then sure. But <laughs> like a lot of brie's I don't really like. And um but we had like half a wheel. I don't remember why we we had gotten it. We got it for some other thing. We had like half a wheel. I'm like, it's gonna go bad. Right. I was like, but I bet you like while I don't like brie on its own or like on a cracker, I bet it would work really well in an Alfredo. And so I just took this whole half wheel of brie and just chucked it into the sauce. 
and and it came out i was like i may like brie now i don't know i'm very (laughs) conflicted because i didn't like brie on a cracker but on noodles all of a sudden (laughs) i i bet i bet one of the one of the things for a stream that is something that i i wanted to incorporate into the stream always is uh we o- we always have a, a small segment right before we actually start playing uh where we do like what are you eating what are you drinking and i always have uh, my dad's homemade bread that he makes me he makes this sourdough ciabatta that it's off the chain oh my god it's pillowy it's soft it crisps up real well um and then i always have uh, uh some sort of alcohol like a beer or a um a mead to showcase and then some cheese um some people know me in my underground circles as being just this cheese guy because I, I love cheese. I probably eat like anywhere from two to five pounds of cheese a week. Like I love cheese. All types, mostly all types of cheese. <laughs> um, and brie is one that I just – I can never wrap my head around. Like I just – I just something about the flavor is just a little too odd. And something about the edible rind, I can't – Yeah, I mean like sometimes it's – like a heavily flavored hard like a rind on a hard cheese that has like a like a rosemary crust or something like sure but the the rind of a brie is so thick yeah it's like like, and it's like and i've had some funky weird cheeses sure that you know that i'm like there may not be my favorite but like yeah i'll i'll taste my way through especially like hard cheeses i probably won't ever turn down a hard cheese yeah but but yeah like like a little piece of brie i'm like i don't know i'm probably just I'll just skip almost every time. Yeah. Yeah. I've had Limburger cheese. I love Limburger Mm -hmm. cheese. I think it's great. The smell is horrific. Mm -hmm. I I won't lie, but it tastes amazing. Um, I've had raclette melted on, on like uh, toast pieces and it smells kind of funky, but it tastes way different. And it's amazing. But for, for me, it's just like, people are always like, yeah, we have this charcuterie board and I have some baked brie and it's like, ah, I'll just take the salami and the crackers. Right. Yeah. No, a baked <laughs> brie, you can get out like that. Like I said, I think the only time, and this is a pretty recent discovery that I, cause I didn't know that it was a thing, but like a triple cream brie that, that I, I found will, recently that I will go for. And yeah, I didn't know it existed until like, I don't know, a couple few months ago. Sure. And I was like, okay, this, and then I'm like, I'm, I'm skipping the brie. And he's like, no, dude, it don't go for the brie right now. But by the time we're done with most of the charcuterie, the brie will be ooze. And that's when you want to eat it. Yeah. And I'm like, this sounds worse. Well, <laughs> like, you normally think, yeah, you think like dairy cheese. Okay. I shouldn't eat this at room temp. Right. I actually like room temp cheese. I mm-hmm. like when, when you get some good cheddar and it's got just like a little bit of like that kind of like melty look to it. Mm-hmm. And for me, it brings out the taste. It's, it's more well, delicious. It sweats the oils. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. The you see the oils the coming up. And, sure. You know, and it just gets more unctuous in your mouth and you're like, oh, this is good cheese. And most people be like, no, it's got to be cold. I no, I like room temp cheese is good. And then when you get to a, a triple cream brie, I, I can I can do with that. I'm OK yeah. with it. It's good. But it is basically just really thick butter. Right. <laughs> yes, it. right. Which like, is, I'm just, I'm basically saying I will eat butter with a spoon. I, I never Maybe dip a cracker that. in it. <laughs> when I first saw brie for the first time, I remember like my aunt or someone had it. And uh, I was like, is this butter? Like, what is this? And that's essentially what it looks like. It's just like gooey butter. Mm. Um, but, uh, where, where were we going? We got, we got on. A good, I, I'm good not sure that I had tangent. a destination with that, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. but I like um, where we've ended up. It's about the journey, not the destination. Right? Exactly. Right? It's about the friends we made along the way, but so, my, my life, uh, my life has really worked its way from food into Dungeons and Dragons because my parents were 
very cultured in that way, like bringing what they knew and loved as kids into what I know and love as a kid too now and like into, you know, being an adult D and D and food. And, you know, when do you not have a D and D campaign where you don't go to a tavern and sit down and drink and play drinking games? Like that's every campaign, even if it's a one shot, there's going to be a tavern. There's going to be like alcohol at the tavern and there's going to be some tavern games every time. Like I, I, I haven't played a campaign where that hasn't happened. Yeah. There's some tropes that like aren't bad. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I found that there's, there's sometimes there's a, some stigma at the, we met in a tavern sort of thing. Right. But I, one of my earlier episodes, a solo episode that I do is talking about the, um, importance and significance of taverns in TV and movies. Sure. And, and how many places is it and in, in actual history, like, like revolutionary right. war and many meetings were secret meetings in taverns that had hidden walls and exactly. hidden basements and things that like real world examples. But like, yeah. There's so many shows, fo- the sole focus, half the show, if not the whole show, is like like How in I Met that. Your Mother is the bar downstairs. You've got like, uh, you've got Cheers, which is, you know, just the bar. I right. mean, there's- Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Always you, in the tavern. Like- um, You've got uh, Pulp Fiction, you know, the diner. And, and, and there's so many places where like food and drink are so culturally significant to us. And- where those places where there is food and drink, there is usually a a building built to serve right. food and drink. And that exactly. building then becomes a communal focus for whatever group of people is around. Right. That's that's the uh, that's the basis for most RP, I would say, even is like when you start off, you know, the, the trope is at level one, you start off in the city of whatever you want to call the city and you start off in, you know, the, the screaming goat tavern and you go in there and there's all these folks around you. And, you know, how are you supposed to get in with the group of people that you're playing at the table with? Oh, they just all happen to be in the tavern and that's how you meet. That's how you RP. That's how you get into it. That's how they learn your backstory, who you are, what your name is. And that I think is, is a, like you said, the, the building, the very basis of like RP and your story and the whole thing, from the ground up that's the foundation is that that diner with the food and the drink and the games oh. yeah and i think there's like like there's a number of ways that that can be like taken and played with like i think sure. that you know theming uh your tavern and and or including you know some some characters that are a little more off the cuff maybe that you wouldn't expect to find in a tavern or making it i i talked with someone recently about like kind of a, a hard rock cafe or a hard barred cafe right sure, like, sure. like that's good taking something and 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 putting a little bit of a spin to it maybe it's not a bar so much as it is like a, a soda place like it sells only non-alcoholic drinks right? right that alone just that tiny note can change the entire theme of a town or a city right like if you start and and you start in a place and the first thing that you notice is that there's no alcoholic beverages or they look like they're all alcoholic and you order right. one and it's fizzy water <laughs> and and you're going okay what's going on here it's this is fruity fizzy water right? right and then they're like oh well we don't serve alcohol in this town and, and then they're like what right and that alone now you've got a plot hook now you've right. got something that you can take and run with it as far as you want. There could be any number 
of of dark reasons why that's the case right? right is everybody under a spell is there an underground for market for this is there a black market like is is it witchcraft is it bewitching is it just a, a despot lord or something right like any number of things all can spring from this one tiny change but it still allows that trope to play out in a in a right. fun and surprising way exactly no i would totally agree i, I think that that's definitely uh definitely taking that to like a whole new level, just taking that trope and then kind of moving it into slightly alteration of that. So you have this new thing. It's the same thing, but it's a new thing and it can go off in a different direction. I think that's, yeah, everybody's it's, comfortable it's, and familiar with where we're at right. for about three seconds. <laughs> right. And then, and but like, I think that establishing a trope is to then break it is just as much fun as kind of saying, I'm not going to use the trope at all. And I'm going to try it. Cause like, that's fine. If you don't want to use the start in a tavern, there's plenty of other ways right. that you can start a game. But I think that breaking a trope is something that it's, it's playing with uh, player securities. Exactly. Like, oh, we feel safe here. And, and then you tell them there's no beer. <laughs> that, that, that kind of brings up a good point. Cause uh, in campaign one that we played the Ascension of blood, um, my my middle brother played uh, dr a dragonborn paladin. His name was Drac, and uh, my brother has always been, always been like the paladin. Uh, played World of Warcraft, was a paladin. Every time he's like this righteous crusader kind of guy, and that's that's his trope as a person. He loves that kind of like, very like you know, the storyline has to be you know, I'm good. There's the antagonist. It ends in a good way. It has to fit that that normal arcing storyline, and I had brought into a character in chapter two that was this really nice uh, gnome and super friendly. Helped the heroes, you know, come in and, into like his home and like took him in. Was an awesome dude, and ended up dying. And my brother, we still have memes about this. And in, in, if you watch the stream at all, we joke about it. Uh, the gnome's name was Clagden, and he always just says Rip Clagden because it's it was. When he died, Drac got so just pissed off about the whole ordeal. And he is like, when the campaign came to an end, he was like, you know what? That was a really good ending. It was like, I thought it was not going to fit like the positive ending I wanted it to be, but it was good. It was perfect. And I'm, I'm really glad I got there because his character didn't want it any other way. He didn't want it any other way. And I think... I kind of forgot where I was going with the point, but <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, I think in in bringing things full circle and and kind of breaking established tropes and narratives, I think that 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 kind of brings up uh, another point that I find interesting to discuss is that with bringing a campaign to level twenty, you've mentioned that there have been some some close calls and some character deaths that they can kind of come back right. from. Um, Maybe, maybe not as a spoiler directly. Uh, you don't have to say which campaign or anything like that. But have you had to deal with uh, permanent character deaths? Um, so no, that's the one thing I have. Uh, I have yet to to get to at least in in these two campaigns. Um, so in well, yes and no. Um, going back to campaign one, there was uh, an NPC they met halfway through the campaign. His name was Grelin. He was a cleric. Um, Grelin was the character that I played in campaign one as, as um, the, the DM owned PC. And at the end of campaign one, Grelin sacrifices himself to save uh, Tremorne, who was our bard. 
um, to save Tremorne from dying from this horrible ritual. Grelin sacrificed himself, and he kind of lives on in memory. That's about the one real death that I've had with a player character. In this campaign, other than bringing people back, there hasn't been any permanent deaths yet. Um, campaign one did start off. We had a couple other guys that started playing with us the first couple months, but they dropped off. So I had to kill their characters off, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a loss in that regard. And one of the players that did play with us all the way through campaign one and plays with us in the second campaign had, he kind of wanted to change characters. So I killed off his character as well. But again, that was like, uh, something that was per request you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Right. So it, it, it didn't come naturally. I guess I, I have any with- natural deaths. With a with level twenty characters, you've got you know disintegrate, you've got power word kill, you've got things that that don't leave a bot like like you're right. one death save in and you get fireballed like there's you're not coming back from that <laughs> right <laughs> right and that's that's something that I am I am not opposed to it I don't think there's anything wrong with a character death I told the players if your character dies you can create a new character come back at half of the highest level that's there currently. Um, so if, you know, if let's just say that um, Elwin, who's our wizard, dies, you know, he'd come back and he could play a, a bard and it'd be half of what they are now. They just hit level six in the last campaign. So he'd come back as a level three bard, which is totally fine. Um, I don't think it's something that the players like. So, yeah, like you said, do you pillow fist it? I don't I don't feel like that's always the the best mode of choice but i also don't feel that killing off a player is is the best you know choice as well yeah i don't think i don't think that i'm I, you know i definitely don't encourage anyone to be out to kill a player right. um because i've been on the receiving end of that sure as as like a personal vendetta not a gameplay thing right. and that's probably one of the worst things like that ends friendships like because it's obvious like you can't you think right. you're being sneaky and you're not um but it uh yeah it's it's one of those things that it's uh it is kind of dangerous it's 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 tough to deal with because yeah you can even the threat of like reduced level like coming back at half is not terrible at two or four because you know that you'll get the xp back really fast right but you get to like 10 or 15 and like that's a that's a significant threat to, to right. have to deal with, and and I think that there are in betweens. I've seen some really interesting, especially for DMs that like yourself that are into homebrew. There's a lot of really cool classes of like, uh, like a ghost of vengeance, where oh, okay. sure. like your entire your level stays the same, your entire class is wiped, and you take an equal number of levels in like ghost of vengeance, mm-hmm. and you play as the ghost. And all of the abilities that you have and and things that you have access to are all these powers that allow you to either do things as a ghost and you have like an incorporeal temperate or to possess somebody and take a physical form that way. But I think that that offers a lot of really cool narratives. And then like whenever you fulfill, like I think when you take your, when you die and become the ghost of vengeance, you basically take a goal and sure. that goal is like what gets you through purgatory, right? So like once you achieve your goal, your character, so you get kind of a one last hurrah sure. at whatever my character's driving purpose is, is now the purpose of this class. And when that class meets, you know, it may meet it not at the end of the campaign. It may not be kill the ultimate bad guy. It may be whatever is related to my backstory, right? Right. And right. But, but once I achieve that, then I can kind of ascend and do whatever. But until then, I am now stuck 
And I think that that can add a lot of cool narrative elements. It allows you to, it, it puts a punishment in for dying. Right. And, and you're forced into a completely new class. You're forced into being incorporal. There's the threat of like your soul being completely erased. If the ghost is damaged, you know, by like magic, it, a lot of the same way of a regular ghost or a white right. or whatever would sure. be, you know, like you can be erased or sent to the ethereal plane or something. Sure. But giving that opportunity to like, yeah, death is dangerous, but not necessarily the you can still fulfill your character's purpose whether that's one session from now that you're like well i'm just going to leave the party and have my own little solo thing and do ghost stuff and do that or whether it's with the party you know but giving you the opportunity to to resolve something with your character before it's kind of permanently erased sure that's an interesting idea i guess i i never looked at how can you let a character live on without actually living on Right. Uh, that's a really cool homebrew idea. Yeah, there's a there's a few of them. Um, I'm not sure it may not even necessarily. If you search Ghost of Vengeance and don't find it, don't 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 at me. I don't know that that's the exact <laughs> name. Um, but there if you Google around a bit for for characters sure. living on in death and, and ghost homebrew classes, there's a few of them. And I think that there's a, a lot of fun ways to, to play with that. Oh, man, that's yeah, that's really interesting. I, I've always thought about am I. You know, as a DM, like you said, you never want to kill your players. And I never I never want to. You're walking that fine line between how hard is the is the challenge? Is it are you making it too hard or are you making it too easy? And even if you walk that fine line, if the roles are bad for the players and good for the enemies, you know, it kind of feels like you forced them a kill. Mm-hmm. But if it's if it's good for the players and bad for the enemies, you feel like you it was just a weak encounter and you and you cheesed it anyway. Right. Um, so it's like you're kind of walking that fine line as a DM. You never want to kill anybody, but you, you want to make something that if they do die, there's a good means of coming back and going, you know, going into some sort of player space where you still feel as powerful, but without, you know, with, without feeling really weak. You still right. are there yeah. in some. Significant you don't have to stand at the back of battle and throw your one level two spell at something, and then go, "Okay, right. I'm just going to wait for the, the thousand XP to come when you guys kill this." Right, and, and I guess maybe that's something that I, I should look into revamping potentially. Again, no one's died in my campaigns; so it's nothing I have that's hard pressed at this moment. But yeah, maybe that's something I should I should look into doing because at the higher levels, rather than just coming back with a level deficit, even if it's not half, if it's like you know, current level minus three or something. Um, you still don't want someone to come back because at the higher, the higher you get, I mean, but between level six or level five and level six is like, what? what is it like 5,500 experience to like 27,000 mm-hmm. and right. it's a huge range. And then it just keeps going up from there. So it's like, you know, even going from level 14 to level 15 is massive. Yep. Um, and granted you're fighting harder monsters, but that doesn't mean that, the experience is coming equally as fast. Right. And you'll, you'll almost never catch up unless the game continues past 20. Right. Right. And you're always going to be in a position where it's like, I, 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 and not to like, I'm not trying to, to crap on the way you run a game at all. I want that to <laughs> no. be a hundred percent clear. <laughs> I, I get it. I, get I, I, I'm not, but I have seen it where like, it's it, unless you take that character on it, there's, there's like two ways to go. You could take that character on side quests, right? But now, other players may see that as favoritism and like, yeah, they're trying to get him back up and level, but he's getting like four more hours of role play every right. week. Right? right. And then on the other side of it, 
you can you you don't want to punish somebody where it constantly feel like well she feels like she's always behind like she died once it was one bad role one bad mistake and every time everybody else levels up she feels terrible because right. she doesn't get to do the same things they get or she, you know she's not even back at the level she was you know months ago true, and true. and so it's 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 it, i've seen kind of both sides of it and it is really hard to figure like because okay well if you can just re-roll any character then why don't we go play tome of annihilation where we each have 10 character sheets of no named you know characters that would just are fodder for the the tomb you know right right no i i i totally i totally agree with that um kind of kind of going back to a different point um the the role play of it um in my campaign specifically has tend to be very very uh, intricate i i like a lot of stories with um good role play i mean you obviously need combat because that's where the majority of the experience lies but i think there is an element of role play there that i really enjoyed in our campaigns and learning to like manipulate voice work and to make every single npc the heroes meet completely different than the last completely new completely special so that their voice doesn't sound the same it's not always the same english accent for every single person all the time um with this last session we had they met this guy named talmaru who was a satyr in in level five of this cave and um the the i'll back up to this point in a second here but um essentially he was based after someone else and the person that created the npc wanted him to speak in um iambic what, what is it um tetrameter I, I can't think of the exact term it's uh it's something that shakespeare wrote so uh, iambic pentameter i think would be mostly shakespeare that, that, but, but but there's there's a number of meters that you could use there too right um it, it's i, I forgot tro uh, trochaic trochaic oh, okay okay um yeah <laughs> so he he had said to me he's like hey you should do this npc but do it in trochaic tetrameter and for those of you who don't know trochaic tetrameter it's like the three witches like uh bubble bubble toil and trouble it's speaking with um four soft syllables and four hard syllables um in two syllable uh eight syllables total in a sentence and that's really hard to do on the fly like yeah. to make full sentences and talk like that on the fly is extremely hard. I messaged him after that session and I was like, there's no way I could have done this. Like I'm really good at DMing, not to toot my own horn, <laughs> but I, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at my DM skills, but I can't do that. Um, so he did kind of turn into this like crazy underground uh, satyr, but I, I did my best. I did my best. I definitely tried to throw in as much uh, tetrameter as I could making like, you know, eight syllable sentences and trying to make it this like interesting character that's totally different. But I think the RP element just in general in our sessions is something that I'm really astounded by because not only do, do I RP well with my NPCs, but the players do a fantastic job of really getting to know an NPC. You know, you go to create an NPC and you might make a mental note of like, what it looks like, what he, what he, what the person talks like, how how they sound, how is their voice? Is it high? Is it soft? Is it is it slow? Or is it real fast? Does he dab a lot? Um, but you never really think about a lot of the backstory, and the characters draw that out of the NPC, and you're you're on the fly, like trying to think of like 
now this 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 NPC who was was nothing turns into this really long backstory of like you're trying to make all these things kind of come out of them. And I think my players are really good uh, about role playing, and that's something that I've gone to appreciate a lot is the whole role play aspect of just really getting into your character's backstory. Um, I have my heroes make their backstory. I had to make it like two weeks before we started campaign two so I could incorporate all of their backstory pieces into the campaign. And I try to make each person have their own section of a chapter to like find this certain thing that is a part of the whole storyline, but builds into the end. Um, and we're on that first section right now, but um, yeah, I just, the RP I think is a huge element of my campaign specifically because I love doing it's all about the story. It's all about the creativity of finding that that whole arcing storyline and how everything fits together. And actually, if if anyone watched all of campaign one, there are a lot of tie-ins that how it goes into campaign two. And I, I've actually kind of loosely figured out campaign three and how I want those ideas to go into campaign four. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's a that's thinking. I, I always I well, yeah, but there's a lot of fun for for. I don't know the the more kind of different types of DMs that I talk to. I find that you know I definitely relate the most to homebrew campaign DMs because that's what I like to run. It's the thing that I enjoy doing the most. Usually for a different reason. I like a lot of the lore and the story, and I I wonder sometimes if I'm trying to find mechanics to fit my lore or lore to fit my mechanics. Because uh, I'm a big design guru. We talked about, you know, sure. designing monsters and, and making special abilities or items that are really, you know, awkward or, or work in a very strange ways. Um, so I do kind of question that uh, about myself. But I think that one of the things that I've always done is like, well, I know where the next campaign is going to be. It, when you guys get through this one, he says, looking at a, a swath of characters that he's only brought to level six. So... <laughs> 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 no, I, that's 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 entirely it. Though is is you look, you look at the campaigns and you want them to you want them to flow well. I think as as DMs go, we're constantly just any any D and D player, not even just DMs, players too. We just constantly have all these creative ideas uh, just on the spit, like, oh, oh I want to yeah, play this crazy turn. cross class. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, and how perfectly that. it's going to go when this spell crits. <laughs> <laughs> but then it fails. It fails. You don't even, or, or you get somebody else, you know, shoves you during their turn or something happens where you it's not even your turn yet you don't even have a right. chance to fail before it's not an option <laughs> well and that's exactly it as D players we have so many ideas it's hard like you said do i do i find the mechanics to fit the lore or lore to fit the mechanics you do both simultaneously sometimes because you you have like i want to do this 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 and this and oh but this doesn't fit over here but then if i make these things some of these can fit mm -hmm. and I think it's it's definitely hard even designing a campaign in the first place because if you do all homebrew like I do, uh, you, you do. You run into that issue a lot. I've run into that so many times where I'm like, I've got this great idea and I want to fit it in somehow, but it doesn't fit the lore. Like, Or I've got right. this you know, great mechanic, but why would anyone do this? It doesn't fit their backstory. And I think that's definitely Can it work on issue. another plane? Well, <laughs> How multiplanar do I need to go to wedge this in? So... I can't I can't say a lot about campaign two, but there is a good portion of that where I've had to I've had to finagle things 
the way the campaign is situated, it's kind of based on um, a Dunamancer. And um, so if you if you look at any of the um, uh, the wild mount stuff or like mm-hmm. what Matt Mercer has created, it, it's based on Dunamancy. And I won't say anything more than that. If you know what Dunamancy is, go Google it for those of you who don't yep. know. Um, I mean, I was actually going to make a joke about about that but not not <laughs> quite directly that but that wink wink nod nod <laughs> but but yeah if if uh that's kind of what campaign two is based around so if you don't know what dunamancy is go check it out go look it up yeah we'll figure fun. it out um, but you are you are setting yourself up for so much danger <laughs> okay okay yes yes i am but at the same time at the same time i did think about it and i was like okay Let's let's write this out. Okay, we'll even take it to like a Loki perspective, right? Right. Well, we'll we'll look at how how one can affect the other, can affect the other, and we'll see how that can cycle back to the beginning. And I've got a really good plan worked out, so I think it fits. I haven't found any holes in it yet, uh, but we'll see as we go along. You haven't. Because... You're not a player in your own campaign. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the, but first, you'll be like a uh, hole here, hole here, hole the here. The best, the best laid campaigns of DMs uh, often fall apart when confronted exactly. with player characters exactly. or something like that. <laughs> oh man, that's so true. But uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. Right now, that's kind of where my headspace is at. It's kind of where I have it based around. And uh, yeah, it should be good. Um, I'm I'm really excited to see how kind of a lot of it plays out. Uh, going back to a previous discussion or a, a mention I had, uh, we were talking about uh, the character that I had created, Talmaru. Um, so I one of the streams we have is on Sunday night, where I do uh, obviously not tonight because tonight's Sunday, but I'm not streaming tonight. But we have a, a campaign builder where uh, I pop up the stream in the uh we we play uh virtually by the way on foundry vtt um which i have some things to talk about that that are some pros and cons but uh a sunday night stream is campaign builder where essentially any of the viewers um now typically it's based off of like tier subscribers have more perks than others but um anyone's free to give their suggestions in the the chat comments and then i build things based around what people want to see now i generally have the arcing plot line that I want because obviously the campaign's mine, but then anything else, side quests, NPCs, uh, the maps, if you want to see a certain thing on maps, I do all the building from the ground up. So I create all the, the digital maps. I create all the NPCs, the journal notes, whatever. But then people get to put in their comments like, Hey, what if you had a side quest? We had one guy who was like, what if you had a side quest where there's a farmer on the outside of this town, but his batch of hops went bad. So they have no ale at the city or it's very scarce. And there's like this whole element. So he created this whole side quest about this farmer uh, and, and like this hop issue that they had. And the players went over there and confronted him. Turns out the farmer had had really killed his wife and the dead body was was uh, like bringing bad water into his irrigation channels. And it spoiled all the hops and there's all this disease. And um, it was cool to see that being implemented. And one of the things that I love about the stream just about D&D as a whole is like D&D is this big creative thing, right? Well, how can I get people who maybe aren't big into D&D or who have been too scared to be a DM or want to get into it? How can I get them to understand what this is like more and be more captivated by it? So we open up the Sunday night stream where people get to help me create the campaign. And then the best part is coming back Wednesday night and you get to see all that stuff played out. You get to see your character creation. You get to see me RP it sometimes challenging um 
you get to see the maps that maybe you helped me create. Like I've had so many people say like, oh yeah, like why don't you put this cool thing in the map? Like put these mushrooms in here because I know I've watched the last couple of sessions. Elwyn really loves mushrooms. Put these cool mushrooms in here. And sure enough, level three of the Cave of Withering Descent, uh, the mushrooms were like on, on the third level and there was all these big uh, red and, and yellow mushrooms. And he came down, he's like, oh, the mushrooms. And uh, I, if anyone who plays Overwatch, he's kind of based his character a little bit off of Sigma in some regards. Uh, he's kind of this like mad scientist. He plays a wizard and he's always like looking for like the next big thing. But he really likes botany and he in his backstory, he was a doctor. So he's got this like intelligence for like medicine and medicinal things. And uh, like, I love having people put those ideas in because it fuels so much RP for my players. Like I love RPing and I love doing voice acting and all that stuff, but it's so cool when I get to see the players interact with something that I didn't even create. Like maybe I did the clicks, but they, it was their creativity. And now some, some of my players get to play on their creativity, which I think is awesome. I'm like removed from the equation and I get to see it from like a third party perspective. Well, you really do get like a thousand eyes to help catch the things that like you might miss while that you're too. while you're trying to write rules deal with on the fly scenarios or combat right. you may not have the, the 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 mental bandwidth to pick up some subtle thing that's that one character said and if chat if anybody in chat catches that and can bring that to you on sunday and be like hey do you realize in battle that he kind of said under his breath he made this comment about this thing and and is that something that we can dig into and like i think that that having that not just one additional pair of eyes but, but like i said like a thousand like a whole chat of full of people that are aware of the situation aware of what's going on that that can just fuel that creative process more and more and more. And you may be aware of some things and you may be not aware of others. So uh, that's, that's entirely, that's a, that's a really good point because I've actually had that come up a couple times just after people have watched the sh the session, they don't bring something to me necessarily, but in our discord, like we have a, a tavern chat for all the viewers to join and like talk about stuff in previous sessions. I've had a couple people like mention things that I, I never thought like, Oh, you know what? This is something that, this character really likes to do. I should try to find a way to implement this into our, in, into the, uh, in the stream somehow that like, I'm going to play into this or like build this into the next piece of the chapter so that they can, can play on that. Um, one of the things that uh, my player brought to me at one point, uh, my, my oldest brother plays Aldian Hunter's son, and he is a uh, blood hunter. Uh, he plays as uh, in the order of the Lycan subclass and he had asked me he's an azimar and he had asked me well as an azimar I, I get my necrotic shroud as a racial ability well can i also do my uh, my um like his transfiguration where he he goes into werewolf form can i use that at the same time hybrid form so it's called he said can i use that at the same time and i said well the rules don't really stipulate one way or the other i haven't looked at anything that says you you can't do it i haven't looked at anything that says like this is exactly how it works there's definitely a multitude of homebrew ideas out there so what i did is i created my chart uh, at certain levels, he gets hybrid transformation, he gets advanced transformation, and then mastery of transformation. And so I made a chart based on those three levels that in the initial stage, if he uses both forms, he has a percentage to do 
like pretty much it'll kill him instantly. He'll take a good portion of damage at, at a middle percentage. And then if he rolls high enough, he takes no damage at all and manages to pull it off. And those values increase or decrease the higher in his mastery that he gets. Um, that's one thing that he brought to me at one point and was like, hey, I've got these two things. How do I work this out so that I could use them theoretically? And I love when when and that's just like one example, but I love when the viewers themselves bring me something like you said, that's like, Hey, what if this thing, you know, I don't know if you remember on this session, but like, you know, Apathea said that she had a brother Anders, like, what if we saw him running through the town or something? Um, so there's, there's like fun stuff like that all the time that I really think is like you said, just, just awesome. It's really good input and it's really fun. It makes it captivating the next time you come back. And it's not just me creating the stuff. It's you creating the stuff then. And you feel drawn to like wanting to watch it because you're like, Oh yeah, I created this. Yeah. You want to see, I want to see. Exactly. Exactly. Now I'm going to have to, now I'm going to have to make an NPC named Brett Lindley. Oh Lord. I mean, I I could probably throw you some, some NPCs if you need, (laughs) if you need an NPC. Uh, I could use some things play tested that haven't been done in a long time. So I, I would, I would be by all means, man, send it my way. I've got, I a, actually... I've got a, 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 I love making characters. I've mentioned this before. I love making characters that uh, are suboptimal um, <laughs> because, because I'm a lo- like, I really am a lore, but like as much as I am, I want to see cool mechanics happen again. This is the, like when I'm making monsters and campaigns, I'm focusing probably on fitting the lore to the mechanics. Sure. Uh, when I'm making characters, I start with the lore and try to wedge a, a PC into them. So the builds are just <laughs> terrible. <laughs> sure. Sure. But, uh, there's a, I want to do a, a warforged, uh, armored artificer, druid circle of the stars. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> what a cross class, man! Yeah, I want, I want the, I want the, the, the great astronomer. And... I, I picture like a bear driving a tank, <laughs> but, but with an astrolabe to make sure they're just going <laughs> yeah. north. You know? yeah. <laughs> Is this the right direction? We're going the right way. Uh, that, that's that's good, man. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I I think that stuff like that. I'm always about form over function, RP <laughs> over mechanics. Not that I think that there's anything wrong with min-maxing a character, but I feel like there are some character classes out there that are like cross classes that are kind of broken and right. really do destroy the game. Now, right. you can very easily homebrew something around it or make the campaign work to like in their, not disadvantage, but against their balance. strengths. Yeah, to right. balance it out. But I'm definitely over RP, over, over you know, making yeah, character just, I, perfect it, it was more the image like i i had the image in my mind first of like a warforge covered in glowing constellations okay and like yes, that's that, cool. that like just that image is like how do i make that work sure and and like that was just kind of like i wanted the armorer because i wanted like him to be kind of self-improving sort of thing sure. but then like when the druid circle of the stars was released i was like i I want to play that, but I don't want it to be an elf. I don't want it to be, you know, a, a human or a variant human or anything like that. Like I want something that can literally embody that druid style. And I think that the the circle of the stars druid has like the three forms, like the three astral forms it gets. Yeah. There's like an archer and and something else. And that also kind of combined with the armored artificer, which gets like two different armors. So you almost kind of get these like depending on again the it, just being able to 
narrate it, not necessarily the way the rules describe it, right? but color of magic sort of thing where now he has five different armored forms, right? And, and he can take any of these different forms gives a lot more flexibility in how he looks in place. I probably wouldn't ever transform into an animal. Like I, I would, I'd be fine for go. And maybe I would, maybe it's, you know, the, 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 um, Oh, existential crisis of the warforged and like <laughs> pretending to but would it be a wooden bear i don't know <laughs> maybe it would maybe i know i think i think stuff like that is great that that like is is totally just about you creating this awesome idea that isn't about just making your class as much damage as possible but bringing in this odd element the rest of the party would obviously question you like Hey, what is this about? Like, tell us how you came here because normally a druid doesn't, they walk out of the forest and they talk to animals. Not like you're in, you know, doing all this mechanical work. Like, what's mm-hmm. that about? I talk but to, I, I, t- I read the stars. <laughs> I, I think that's a great element of that. that that's like D&D in a nutshell almost, mm-hmm. right? That's like the whole creativity, the RP element just shoved together to make this awesome experience, not only for you, but to intrigue everyone around you as to like what this story is about. I think that's fantastic. I, I did that. That's just a really great idea. I, well, thank I you. feel free to have fun with it. That's I, a, I, I, I don't know I'm that gonna, I'm ever going to play it. So. <laughs> I'm going to take you up on that, man. I So when I was creating campaign one, I actually did a similar thing. I poured through all of my old D&D stuff. I had these notebooks sitting in this like metal box. For oh, Lord, I don't God believe you. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so I started flipping through some of these, and I found a character that I – my highest level character – uh, character that I love to play that I, it was just a, it was just a one-on-one campaign. I was the player and my, my middle brother uh, was the, who plays Elwin Morstead in our campaign. He was the DM and uh, we were playing this one-on-one campaign for quite some time. We would just pick it up every, every so often and we would just, you know, play it out. And my character was a cleric. I love clerics. They're by far and away my favorite class uh, cleric of the, uh, uh, the life domain, uh, someone who worships Pelor. Um, speaking of, I got to step back to the additions 3.5 and five when we get a chance, (laughs) but I created this character named Luther and he went all the way to level 13 had just awesome gear. He had like this homebrew special. Um, this was back when critical chance was a thing, uh, with great swords. You had, uh, 18 to 20 or 19 and 20 or something. Uh, he, he made a greatsword called Shezra, which was a keen greatsword, and it had a crit range of 18 to 20, and it did, like, times three damage, and it, it was, like, plus 3d6, like, some sort of damage, necrotic or something, and my character had all these crazy things in here, like, several 10-foot poles, jugs of blood, like, stuff that you wouldn't, you'd be like, what? Why do you have this? You can't carry this couple ladders or some crazy stuff <laughs> just like two that. or three ladders you know, yeah yeah do. like no well, my weight says i can carry it i so. can get through a door with my <laughs> 10 foot ladder <laughs> right so i'm looking at this character and i was like this is probably my most notable character and sure enough campaign one i turned it into the cleric at the main city they first went to when they were level one his name was luther uh he was the cleric of of the city of malfrey which is in the lore of campaign two as well um and at the end of campaign one, I actually had to kill him off. And so to me, that was like, it, it was a very, uh, it was a very quick death. It was very ceremonial, but 
I had to kill him off from his father, who was the antagonist in campaign one and came back and his father ends up killing his son, Luther, and just blasts a hole right through his heart. And he just falls to the ground on his knees and then dies. And it was, it was in my mind after the session finished, I like got done and I was like, I, I feel, I feel a sense of like, not relief. Like it was something bad, but just like, I just, I let it go. Yeah. Yeah. It was very cathartic. I just, I kind of just let it go. Like, his character that I remember, like if there was one character I had to pinpoint from any of my old stuff, it was it was Luther. And I, I just I let it go and I was like, ha, ah, finally got to like finish this character out. He had an arc, he played into my 30s. Great. It was like really it was really an awesome time. And I, I look back at some of my old stuff and I add some of those people in there. So I add some of those NPCs that things that would have never been played out. Not that they were weird ideas or off the wall. It just never got played out. Why not throw it in as an NPC? So I'm going to take you up on that, Brett. Yeah, and I'm no, going to do take it. Some I've got the ideas. I've, I've got another one in my back pocket that was a, a villain from an evil campaign that never got to fully realize that sure. I want to use as a villain at some day. I want to I want to do a write up on him, but uh, no, I, uh, I I gotta say we we I do want to wrap a few things up. Uh, you are, if I'm not mistaken, interested in joining me for a little Patreon episode. You got it, man. I All right. Gladly. Well, we've got um, some stuff to talk about uh, on 3.5 and Fifth Edition. Um, we've got a, a few things that we're going to go over. I would like to know if there's uh, any interesting sibling rivalry D and D stories. <laughs> and uh, but but before we answer any of those questions, Eli, I always cede the floor at the end of every episode as much as I can to my guest. So Eli Hurst at the Screaming Tavern on Twitter, Twitch.tv/slash the Screaming Goat Tavern on Wednesdays and Sundays. Is there anything else, anywhere else that you would like to shout out? Uh, anything that you want to say, the floor is yours. Uh, so we do also stream on Mondays. It's usually a third game night, like uh, Overwatch or something. I, I have been looking at switching that around, so it might just be like a just chatting D&D kind of thing. Um, but other than that, I, I think I think the one last point I'd like to say is uh, how we got the name The Screaming Goat Tavern. And in the very beginning, when the heroes were level one, they went to the very first city they started out at. Um, they heard a woman scream who was being chased by a band of orcs. They slayed the orcs, and the heroes praised them. Letting them into the city, King Bjorn Boulderfist let them eat for free at the Screaming Goat Tavern, which was the very first tavern that they walked in. And would you have it? My players loved this idea so much. They found a guy at the Renaissance Fair who does hand carving and engravings. They made me this giant wooden plaque that has our Screaming Goat logo in there, um, and it's fantastic. So the the Screaming Goat Tavern logo that you see on a lot of our, my social media on Twitch and Twitter, Instagram, is actually the plaque that they uh, they had made for me. And uh, I, I, I have yet to. It's hanging on my wall behind me, behind my green screen there. But I want to get it hung outside my house like a tavern door, uh, like swinging uh, yes. on, on some chains. So that's that's in the works. But, yeah, that's that's how we got the Screaming Goat Tavern as our name. And uh, don't forget to check out our merch. Um, it's thescreaminggoattavern.com. Uh, you can see all of our fun, fun merch there. This is kind of our tagline, much appreciate. And you can get ones with the logo as well. 
Uh, but yeah, that's all I have to say. I'm looking forward to our, our Patreon exclusive. Maybe you'll hear some voice acting. Ooh, yeah, I've got actually got a couple questions on that as well. So right. uh, yeah, thank you again so much. Uh, all of the links that we'll have will be down in the description below. Uh, and yeah, for real, check them out. Hopefully we haven't spoiled campaign one too much. <laughs> but uh, but by the time you get there, I'm sure it'll be all as new anyway. So thank you again, Eli. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. So that's all for the episode today. Thank you all so much again for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, consider clicking that little star rating or dropping a review in your podcast app of choice and help boost the algorithm gods to get this podcast in front of more people's ears. All of the links and contact information discussed can be found down in the show notes. And if you're interested in keeping in touch with me, you will find that I am most active on Twitter at anddinners. That's A-N-D-D-I-N-N-E-R-S. If you're interested in supporting the show or want access to the entire back catalog of bonus episodes like today's minisode, where Eli comes back to chat about voice acting, sibling rivalries, and Twitch streaming, or you just want to help keep this podcast ad-free, consider tossing a few coins over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. If you're looking for other great podcasts to listen to, check out my other broadcast, Pick Up Your Sticks. It's a long-form podcast about why gaming matters, hosted by myself and my dear friend, Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.